0: netcasts you love
1: from people you trust
0: this is twit bandwidth for this week in radio tech is brought to you by cashfly at
2: c-a-c-h-e-f-l-y dot com This Week in Radio Tech, Episode 83, recorded May 18th, 2011. Amateur radio for professional engineers. This Week in Radio Tech is brought to you by Telo Systems and the new HX1 and HX2 digital telephone hybrids on the web at telos-systems.com and by Trim Tommy. Trim Tonic is a natural appetite suppressant tonic that takes the edge off being hungry. Go to trimtonic.com and use offer code TWIT for 20% off. Hello, it's time for This Week in Radio Tech. I'm so glad you could join us. My name is Kirk Harnack. I'm a, hey, I've been a disc jockey and an engineer, and now I work for the great folks at. Telos and Omnia and Axiom. I'm just really glad they keep me on their payroll. It's a it's a pleasure working for them. Especially in tough economic times, people still seem to want their their stuff. So what have you tuned into? Well, you've uh, brought in the, the you've tuned into the Twit network and you've downloaded and are listening to or watching the podcast where we talk about radio engineering. And that that covers a whole big range of stuff. Um you know, from microphones and and uh, uh, turntables even to CD players and um uh, automation systems, digital and analog uh, audio transport and mixing and, and routing systems, and even ways to get the audio out to the transmitter side and then how we actually transmit that uh, from high atop a tower or a building uh, to your radio or other listening device. And there's a lot of changes going on in that technology and, or in the way that broadcasters get that information out. And that's the kind of stuff we talk about. So welcome in. Glad you're here. Stick around. Uh, you'll end up liking us, I, I, I hope. Hey, well, I'm the host and uh, today with me, our co-host is uh, Chris. Chris. Chris Tarr from Mukwanago, Wisconsin. Hello, Chris. Hi there, Kirk.
0: I am the director of engineering for Intercom's radio stations in Madison, Wisconsin and Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I also uh, am a co-founder of a website for engineering called broadcastengineering.info, kind of like a little uh, SB engineering
2: meeting on the web. Cool. Uh, And uh, that broadcastengineering.info, Give us a little bit more insight about that because I think that's something that people, engineers or people interested in broadcast engineering really ought to sign up in and and go and look at from time to time. What do you guys do there? (laughs)
0: Sure. Well, what it is, is really it kind of started as uh, me and a good friend of mine, uh, Kent, who's a, another broadcast engineer. You know, we we were looking around and there really was no place online to speak of where people could just get together and exchange ideas, ask questions, get answers. And, you know, and kind of in the spirit of cooperation, you know, there's a there's some mailing lists, but those are kind of outdated. And, uh, you know, those are real hard to kind of go back and look at things that may have been asked or answered before. They're not real searchable. So, you know, it just kind of surprised me that nobody else is doing this. So a few years ago, we put this uh, this, this forum software online and it really is, we've got uh, several hundred members uh, thousands and thousands of posts. I think we, we've crossed the 20,000 post mark. And there's something for everybody. We discuss AM radio, FM radio, digital. Uh, we have even just kind of a from the trenches thing where, you know, we could tell war stories. And we have a really good group of people online. They're very friendly, very helpful. We have some people who are interested in engineering who, you know, have never done it before, but maybe you're thinking about getting in. They come in and ask questions. They get answered right away. We uh, A great question from a couple weeks ago, somebody was looking for for power supply for a certain console is no longer made. Uh, you know, they put out the call and, and we helped them out. So uh, it really is, it's it's a good fellowship there and a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I suggest if you're at all interested in broadcast engineering, if you haven't signed up yet, to, uh, to go to broadcastengineering.info and sign up and, and take part. If anything, it's a great resource if you have, you know, you run into one of those unsolvable problems. Uh, chances are one of us uh, there has run into it once before and can answer the question.
2: You know, Chris. Speaking of ways to get help, and and since broadcast engineers often, well, a lot a lot of us live a lonely life. You know, we we take care of several radio stations, oftentimes on our own, with uh, with uh, no one else on staff. Now, I know you have some staff there um, uh, in a different city, and maybe a little bit of local help. But so many engineers um, don't have that kind of interaction. So a forum like yours is. is can be a real lifesaver. You can get information, uh maybe you need information about equipment that uh, hey the company's out of business or the manual is just not available any, anymore. Uh, or maybe you you just need a quick uh hint or help uh you know in the middle of the night. So tell me how a lot of engineers uh subscribe to uh listserv. And I know that mm-hmm. um uh, Barry Mishkin, the eclectic engineer, runs several uh, listservs, uh his place dave beyondy, uh another engineer runs some listservs and and um uh, I subscribe to a few of each. I don't have time to read them all the time, but I usually try to check them out. So how is a listserv different from the kind of forum that, that you run? Oh, really? Yeah. There's not a lot of difference. and I think they complement each other.
0: I think the the one issue that I have with Listservs and, and why I didn't really participate in mean, is I get hundreds of emails a day. And and like you said, a lot of times there's stuff in there that comes and goes and I wouldn't pay attention. I just kind of skim it and delete it. And, uh, you know, the, the Listserv software is very hard in terms of archiving. They archive them, but it's very hard to go back and kind of search through the entries and and uh, makes it a little difficult to sort information there 's a great wealth of information out there but it 's not it 's not real searchable and I found that that was really frustrating for me when I had a specific problem and i couldn 't couldn 't find the answer searching for it so what this does is it 's kind of one central place broken down into you know fairly distinct categories with you know people who are i kind of call them specialists in each category who kind of you know, hang out in those in those special areas to answer those questions. And, you know, we find that, you know, that attracts people. And then as time goes on, we've built this great, you know, it's a great searchable database. You know, the longer we're online, the more valuable it becomes because it contains more and more information. So all you have to do is, you know, log on, go to the website, open up a search box, type whatever it's you're looking for. And chances are, and in in, in, it's been, what, it's, uh, almost five years we've been online, there's a pretty good chance that somebody somewhere along the way has discussed it. So, uh, you know, th- they all have their places. And I know a lot of our members are also on those listservs. And, you know, I think we all get along, you know, and get together just fine. It's just another resource. But I just wanted something different that was a little easier, uh, you know, a little easier to search through and, and get information from.
2: You know, couple of comments about about the differences you pointed out uh, one thing that I do to solve that email problem is that uh, whether you're using uh, like gmail you can use labels to automatically take, you know, the the from address who's sending it and slip it into a, a label. And it never shows up in your inbox that way. Uh, it never bothers your inbox. It's always there in a label. You can go look at it when you have time to. But I uh, I, I use Outlook. I'm still using Outlook in Windows. Uh, I'm just really used to it. I'm really fast with it. But what I do is I just set up some rules in Outlook. And so anything from uh, the alternate frequency list or the broadcast list or the uh, the, the tech advice uh, list, tech assist list, uh, other such lists, I just have them go into the folders. And that way, when I do get to, I, sometimes I see the the broadcast uh, list up to, you know, 800 messages. Well, you know, I either need to delete these or I need to have a look at some them see if there's any interesting topics there. you uh, know, by the way, it'll build up to 800, a uh, thousand uh, messages, you know, o- over the course of, of a week and a half or so. Um, and, and so doing that keeps them out of my inbox and I can, and I can, I can go deal with them. But the nice thing about um, a forum is that you've got the history all right there in the forum. Whereas with the listserv, if you're deleting things, um, you know, you, you have to go back to your Gmail or someplace that might keep them forever to, um, uh, to, to, to see them. So yeah, that, that makes the forum uh, uh, a, a good way. By the way, that forum, <laughs> and, is it searchable by Google? If I did a, oh did sure a search? Yeah. With, I mean,
0: if, if you search for, you know, certain keywords, you know, we'll show up in the results. Uh, in fact, the specific post will and I have it set up so that Google can crawl uh, and, and do those searches for you so that, you know, you can use Google, Google to do that. It's pretty, You know, I, so I mean, if you're if you're doing it and then actually that's how we get some of our members is they've, you know, searched for specific things, uh, you know, something related to a transmitter or something, and they were taken to our site and you know they they stopped by and they took a look around and and after that had registered and you know i, I you know some people prefer the mailing list, and there's there 's really nothing wrong with them. I think you know again, my preference was always i 'd rather have some sort of forum. I was just never a big fan of mailing lists, so that 's really how that started and uh, you know i I said I, we have members that are on both, and you know, there 's a, a list or two that I belong to as well, but um, I just was looking for one kind of a central repository. I just deal with that better, you know. You can, there's features on a on a message board like just show me the new posts. You can follow a certain only certain threads and be notified. And in fact, if you like seeing things in your email, you can subscribe to posts. And if there's a certain thread that you want to follow on the message board, you can subscribe to that and get emailed when people add. And 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 change things, and uh, get notified that way. So it, you know you kind of have the best of both. If you prefer the form, we've got that. If you like the email, you can set up your account to be emailed when people add uh, information to to the certain thread that you're subscribed to. So I just found it. I, I just the concept of the of the message board works better for me than the email threads. Uh, but I, you know, there's a place for both. I, I really like. I, said, I get a kick out of it because when I put it together. Uh, it was, again, my, my friend Kent and I, I kind of went, well, let's just see what happens. I didn't think anybody would be all that interested. I was just kind of playing with the forum software. And uh, I wanted to try it out. I have, you know, hosting account and I have plenty of bandwidth and everything. And it was more of a project for me to just set up a message board with a database. And uh, I wanted to get a little experience with that. So it really started out as something fun. And I said, well, you know, if people use it great. And if not, I got the experience playing around with it and that's that's great. And uh you know like I said it it really took off and and what's kind of neat about it is the longer we're on the more valuable it becomes because yeah, you know it kind of sits yeah. feed on itself and people find
2: it and uh you know so it's been really great that way. Cool. Well broadcastengineering.info is that website. It is really useful. Uh if you go to that uh, broadcastengineering.info you're bam, you're presented not not a, not a bunch of uh to get to it, you're presented right away with the uh the topics and they're they're in uh topic sections like rf engineering digital engineering uh, studio engineering hobbyists and miscellaneous uh like from the trenches or ask the engineers um so or even there's a virtual engineer uh, wiki i see that broadcast doc uh is uh posted there sometimes is that you that's me. That is me. And uh, by the way, if you do sign up, keep in mind, uh, because of
0: spammers and things, that's the other thing we're fiercely protective of. Um, you know, I pay all the hosting fees so that there's no advertising or anything. Uh, and I do, we do a very good job. We have uh, several moderators to kind of keep things clean and spam free. But because of that, uh, you, we do have to approve all new members. And that's simply, I just verify that you're a human being. And as soon as I can do that, uh, you know, you get through. So when you register, unfortunately, you, don't, you can you can browse, but you don't get uh, access to post Anything until I've approved you and I usually you know within a couple hours or so I get an email and I'll I'll go and activate your account but we had a uh, for a while there had a problem with with spammer so we fixed
2: that yeah when you sign up expect a questionnaire from Chris about ohm's law <laughs> and,
0: well, you uh, know, we were the talking about and theorem and things we were talking about for for spam prevention actually doing a, a question database where you had to answer something somewhat engineering related in order to you know, activate yourself. But, you know, that, uh, my concern was that, you know, we may have people who don't really know much about engineering who wouldn't get the question. So like, well, we'll just do it this way. You know, they sign up and I'll just, you know, I'll get around to approving them and then they can, they can ask your question and I do it pretty quickly. So it hasn't been too much of an issue.
2: You know speaking of asking questions find out if you're a human or if 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 you're an engineer one time a corporate director of engineering told me that he had a singular question that he asked engineering applicants to uh, his broadcast company he asked the applicants uh to what impedance of a load would be the best choice uh, to connect to the output of a uh, of an FM transmitter with an output impedance of 50 ohms and You'd ohms. be surprised at how many people don't know <laughs> the answer to that question. <laughs> it's a trap. I always ask
0: that of my prey, uh, and uh, it's uh, and, right. And that's you know. So we we did try some Turing type of things to do the self registration because you know there's again we get a lot of people and you know it can get crazy after a while. But uh, you know that seemed to be the best way to do it. Is you know, I could verify right away. I could tell by the email address and the IP address if you're a human or not. If there's any question, I just email and say. Uh, just checking to make sure you're actually uh, a human being. Please let me know. Uh, but again, anybody who's you know who's listening or watching, uh, you know, stop by and check it out. Even if you don't want to register, that's fine. Uh, there's just some great information, and there's a good chance that if you get stuck on a problem, either we've answered it or we have somebody there who can. And we've you know we've got uh, people who work at Nautel. We've got some some pretty uh, pretty experienced contract engineers that are there. So uh, in fact, we have one uh, one contract engineer. Uh, who, you know, offers if, if you know, there's somebody there who has a project will offer discounted help for, for the, you know, for like AMRAs and things like that. So we, you know, we have a really good group of people there.
2: Cool. Well, hey, uh, Mr. Tobin, uh, Chris Tobin is trying to join us and he's having a little bandwidth issues, but he should be on. In the meantime, uh, you're watching uh, This Week in Radio Tech or listening to it if you get it that way. And we certainly thank you for joining us. We're now a member. This podcast is now a member of the regular Twit family. So you can find our show posted at twit.tv slash twirt. Boy, is that a handful? Twit.tv slash twirt. <laughs> uh, I'm still maintaining the uh, This Week in Radio Tech dot .com website uh, I guess for a little while longer but uh uh to keep people yeah you know, to keep the um uh the RSS feed uh, going so the people who are subscribed to uh, our podcast via iTunes can still uh, be notified that way that there's new episodes available but uh, hey check it out on the on the twit.tv website you'll find a lot of other good things there too of course if you're if you're watching this you probably already know that so chris i want to turn our attention to this um uh this event of the year if you are, <laughs> it's certainly if you're a ham radio guy, but, you know, a lot of broadcast engineers go to these, uh, this thing, too. Why don't you tell us something about Hamvention? ground zero for geeks yes
0: uh it, it is fantastic and uh we uh, somebody from the chat room earlier said you know if you're going to talk about hamvention if you could give me an excuse to give to the boss to uh make it worthwhile for me to go that'd be great and i'm here to do that tonight uh you know if you're a broadcast a lot of broadcast engineers are amateur radio operators and if they're not they know people who are and i again i recommend that uh, if you are an amateur radio or if you are an engineer you consider getting an amateur radio license you now, they're, nowadays, there, uh, you know, we don't have any code or anything uh, to get in anymore to get the license. You have to have the engineering or the the electrical knowledge and the knowledge of how amateur radio works to do it. But it is pretty easy to get, at least for an engineering
2: type. Uh, pretty easy to get uh, a ham license. So here's a. Uh, uh, here, if you look ahead. at your here's a video from uh, uh, somebody promoting a uh, hamvention. Um, so there's a lot of pictures from people there. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what? I realize the pictures aren't up very long, but what can people expect to see when they when they go there? What what are we looking at here? What it is, it there's there's two separate sections. There's an indoor section and an outdoor section.
0: The indoor okay. section is ham radio manufacturers, uh, manufacturers of equipment for amateur radio, and it's like a big expo. It's kind of like uh, CES for ham radio. You walk by and and you can see the latest in technology. And believe me, uh, again, for an engineer, there's a lot of technology out there. A lot of people think wrongly that uh, you know that. that ham radio and amateur radio is kind of a historical thing. There's a lot of cutting-edge things going on right now in amateur radio with digital modes and things like that. And what it is is it's this big expo filled in the center of – of. What's new and what's hot in amateur radio. Then there's a second part, which is outside on the lots, and those are the pictures you're seeing now. And that's an outdoor flea market. And you pretty much if 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 it's amateur if it's amateur radio, you'll find it at Dayton. Either somebody's selling it used, somebody's selling it new. Uh, you know, but there's there's all these things going on uh, in and outdoors, all revolving around amateur radio. And again, if, if you're a broadcast engineer, a lot of this stuff is stuff that you deal with on an almost daily basis with your job. So it really is a good way to kind of see uh, not only what's new uh, with amateur radio, but it, it very much ties in with the job that we do. And there's a lot of things that we can learn as engineers from amateur radio that they've been doing forever that, you know, Bob we Hyle. could apply. Yeah, there's <laughs> yeah. Bob Heil. Exactly. He'll be there. I mean, I'm looking forward to hooking up with him on there. Um But, you know, as as broadcast engineers, a lot of the things that amateur radio operators do, we are doing as well or we should be doing or, you know, kind of ties into the work that we do. So I really think it's it's. $22 Twenty-two dollars to get in. I mean, the, the tickets are really inexpensive. It's a fundraiser for uh, the Amateur Radio Group in Dayton. Uh, it's certainly a lot less expensive to go to than than uh, you know than Vegas to the NAB. Although, obviously, you know the NAB is fantastic. But you know, if you can't do that, you might want to consider making this because it, there is a lot of technology and presentations and things like that that, although don't directly relate to broadcast engineering, are very similar in discipline. And I, I think uh, it would be very worthwhile uh, for anybody who, who's, who's into engineering or even interested in gadgets and computers and IT stuff. There's a lot of those types of things going on as well. Uh, it happens at the Hare Arena in Dayton, Ohio. And uh, it was kind of funny. We Somebody mentioned today, you know, maybe I should petition uh, the Hamvention folks to move it to like Vegas or something instead of Dayton, Ohio. They say, you know, in fact, they're, well, you know, I saw a whole, Detroit or something. Uh, and then I mentioned, you know, just imagine all of these engineers in the pool. And that's all I had to say. And they realized <laughs> Las Vegas is probably not not a good idea. Uh, but uh, it, it, it's, uh, it goes over three days, uh, kicks off on Friday, goes through Sunday. Uh, I'm going to leave tomorrow and, and head out there. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, aside from all of that, there's also, you know, aside from what you can tell the boss with things like uh, – you know, learning things about your job and and, and similar disciplines, there's also a, a great camaraderie with, uh, you know, other broadcast engineers, other hams. I mean, we're all, the one common thread in all this is we all love RF. We all love making radio waves in some form or another. And we're also going to get a collection of thousands of people who are interested in the same thing over the couple of days. Uh, it's just fantastic that way. Uh, and, of course, you know, the restaurants there love it, too, every year. <laughs> Huge uptick in food sales uh, in the Dayton area while we're there. Uh, but it is. It's, it's a fantastic uh, fantastic program. Uh, it's a fantastic convention. And I try to get there every year uh, to, to hang out with my friends and, and other broadcast engineers because you'd be surprised how many of us, uh, well, all, all of the ones here are amateur radio operators.
2: So uh, it, it is, it's, a, it's a great time, uh, a lot of fun. You know, you, you've touched on a couple of things that I think we ought to ex- expound on. And uh, w- sure. probably the the one reason that, that I uh, studied enough to pass a simple test and, and got my amateur radio license, uh, which is just a, a no-code technician, which I guess codes are not required anymore, so I'm, I'm a technician class, um, is that as a broadcast engineer, I felt that I was missing some insights into the technology that I was using because... And the manuals that are written for equipment that we use in broadcast engineering, and even things like um, antenna technology with, you know, like like an ERI rototiller-style FM antenna or a ring stub antenna. Uh, It it was my imagination that these were the only ways to get RF signal, you know, out of a piece of coax and into the atmosphere. Um, Or an AM tower had to be a quarter wave tall or maybe five-eighths of a wave tall. And that, that's pretty much the only way to do it. Um, uh, th- these, I knew there had to be other ways to, to do the things that we do in broadcast. And so I, uh, my, my imagination of how some things worked was molded and shaped by, simply by the conventions that uh, we have adopted as best practices in broadcasting. It turns out, for example, if you want to make an AM antenna, let's say your AM tower falls over in a windstorm. Uh, And you need to get back on the air. What else could you do? Do you have to wait for a tower crew to come build you a new quarter wave, half wave, five-eighths wave, uh, vertical, you know, Marconi radiator? Or could you do something else? And every ham radio operator who's, you know, operated out of his house with a a, a shortwave transmitter knows that, well, of course, there's other things you can do. You can string a wire outside. You can make an inverted V. You can make a rhombic antenna. And that's what I was going to say. I mean, these guys are fantastic resources
0: for things like that, I mean, amateur radio operators—that's what they prepare for all the time, and and they create their own antenna systems. And I found, you know, I, I know a lot of, uh, of amateur radio operators that are really smart guys who help me with antenna theory. I mean, they you know they, they live and breathe antennas, and they're fantastic resources for that. And in fact, how I got my ham license was through a broadcast engineer. It was when I first got started in broadcast engineering, and uh, the the guy who was helping me out, my mentor, said, you, you know, you should you should get a ham radio license. I think you really enjoy it. I'm like, ah, you know, I never really thought about it. it sounds like it's hard. He's like, he's like, I'll tell you what, this was, this was like a Wednesday afternoon. He said, I, I bet you, I'll give you this book, I bet you, we're, we're doing testing this weekend, I bet you you could walk in and pass a test. He said, you know, you're an engineer, you already know a lot of the theory. If you learn just the FCC-specific things to amateur radio, I said, you could get your technician's test uh, class license very easily, and I did. I walked in on uh, that Saturday, took the test, passed, and I don't regret it a bit. I love it. And and some of the things that I've done with packet radio, uh, with automatic positioning, digital modes, uh, we've done things like fox hunts where you try to find the hidden transmitter. Uh, that's great for, you know, f- tracking down interference. That's a skill that I still use trying to find, you know, pirate stations and, and sources of interference. My first, exp- uh, my first experience tracking down signals was what we call fox hunting, where somebody uh, hid themselves with a transmitter. Uh, And and this was down in Illinois. It was a county wide type of deal in Kankakee County um, where uh, we'd have somebody hide somewhere in the county and every couple of minutes key up and say something on the microphone and then go away. And with those little snippets, we had to track down and, and triangulate and find out where they were. Uh, that was really invaluable to the skills that I still learn today or I use today so there's a whole lot involved with that and and the people involved uh can really be helpful and the skills that you learn can really be helpful in in your everyday job so uh, if somebody who, you know who's asking before uh, about uh you know why you should be able to convince your boss to go to dayton that's one of the reasons i, I you know I can't ex- express enough how. Uh, you know, hams are very – ham radio operators are very practical people, and, you know, there, there's a lot of things that you can learn uh, from from somebody who's uh, big into amateur radio.
2: You mentioned about this Fox Hunt thing. I've never participated in one, but I always read the articles in QST magazine and, and other places about uh, how fox hunting works and how to build directional antennas that um, – Oh, it's, know, it's a blast. It's a blast. Yeah, I, I'm always interested in how you uh, deambiguate. Is that the right DM, Is that the right word? Uh, if you've got an antenna that's like a, a loop, how do you tell which is it coming from that direction or that direction? Well, one answer is you you move a little ways and you try it again, and, you, and then you triangulate. You know, right, um,
0: right, uh, and and we you know we use very directional antennas with uh, step attenuators, so uh, you know you can really attenuate the antenna and and really focus it in and peak it and get an exact direction from where they're coming from, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's a
2: whole lot of fun. I I really enjoy doing that. You know, if if a half dozen ham operators on a on a fox hunt can find a guy who's transmitting, you know, for a few seconds every two minutes. Why can't the FCC find the full-time, full-power pirates at <laughs> Miami? Well, I, I don't think they find it nearly as fun as we do. I think it's probably <laughs> well, the that's true. It's for them; it's a job. Hey, understand? Uh, Chris Tobin is joining us. Let's see if Chris's connection is working. Hello, Chris. Now nope, he lost him again. I just yeah. saw the message. Yeah, coming. lost him again. Oh well, we'll we'll, we'll continue <laughs> on. I wish I wish him luck. Um, uh, so th- the other thing that – well, I, oh, actually, I want to bring up something that uh, Bob Holowenko in the, in the chat room said. He said, a certificate of proficiency in amateur radio on my resume – this is Bob talking – is how I got my radio job. My employer recognized that ham radio geeks like technology and make awesome employees oftentimes, uh, and uh, it sure helps them understand data communications. So, boy, that yeah, that, that can he's, be uh, right. a lot of good. Somebody recognizes that it's, this is a valuable thing to, to be interested in.
0: In, in fact, the guy that I hired uh, to help me out in engineering uh, in Madison, one of the reasons I hired him was you know he didn't have a ton of experience but he he was had an amateur radio license so I knew that he at least got it he understood uh the principles of RF and how transmitters work and I think he's right i mean I, I, it's a good sign of proficiency if you've gotten that far uh you, there's a lot of basics that you already know and that kind of assures that so yeah there's it's a it's great just for that as a as a career thing
2: for your resume. Well, there's Mr. Tobin for a second. Are we being teased? Ah, darn, we're being teased. Oh, well, you, you think in New York City you get some connectivity. Maybe it's just, maybe it's the iPhone problem, you know, in New York City you can hardly get an iPhone to keep a connection. But I'm sure in Macwanago iPhones work just great, don't they? Well, you know, they've got four people that have them.
0: So what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> I remember, true story. This is a this is a true story. This was uh I think probably three years ago, I was still on a Nextel phone and I was having some issues with data and I got onto like a tier three, uh, uh, tier three technician and who could actually see the cell activity and and the tower activity. And he was, you know, doing some stuff on his computer and he said, Hmm, you you must have a really good connection there. And I kind of laughed. He goes, yeah, you're the only one on the tower right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So So, um, here
0: here are the booties. That's the way it works.
2: Hey, we're going to take a break here for a moment and, um, it's time for, um, commercial slot number one. Our show is made possible and sponsored by, and and we actually end up getting paid a dollar or two for all of our time uh, that we put into this. And I, so I appreciate very much, uh, the, the, uh, the relationships that we have with, uh, advertisers, but, uh, you know, this stuff on the internet, Hey, it's free for you to watch. Right. And you know, that on the Twitter network, there's an incredible amount of, uh, good positive information that's useful every day and, um, Hopefully, this is part of it if we're f- uh, filling your niche. Well, our show uh, today is brought to you in part by a product called Trim Tonic. Um, Trim Tonic is a natural appetite suppressant tonic. It takes the edge off of being hungry. Well, that sounds good because that's usually – here. what do I have? i not drinking Trim Tonic, and I got two cookies here. I'm, I'm working on them pretty slowly. Um, it has no stimulants in it, so it doesn't have any caffeine and no hoodia. Uh, instead, Trim Tonic uses eight active ingredients, some of which – have clinical studies that actually do demonstrate their ability to curb appetite and reduce body fat. Well, I'm interested in that. I could stand to lose 20, 30 pounds uh, right away. You know, I found, in fact, I was, I was looking through, uh, one of my daughters was uh, here at the house uh, earlier this week, or last weekend, I should say, and we were going through some old pictures that we're going to have, uh, have digitized and scanned. And we found, we, I, I'll show you this for a second. Okay, we found an old picture of Kirk Harnack. Uh, this must be 35 pounds ago. I'm thinking, dang, uh, that's that's some. I should get back to that. Okay, I really should. And so, um, uh, a product like Trim Tonic can can help you do that by curbing your appetite, not making you want to eat so much. Uh, it has uh, three main ingredients uh, that that work to help you not be as hungry. I'm going to see if I can pronounce these correctly. There's uh, acaranthus aspera, and this is a, a tropical plant used for centuries by tribal folks to curb their appetites. And for trim tonic, they use an expensive extract called AIDSlim, which is the trademark name, has a couple of studies on weight loss okay? uh, that do work, and you can see the website about that. There's another product, another ingredient um, that is pronounced Irvingia, Ervingia uh, gabonensis, And this is a seed extract from an African tree, also known as wild mango. Don't have to have such a complicated name for it if it's wild mango. The seeds have reputable studies that show its effectiveness with weight loss. The subjects uh, saw a drop in both LDL cholesterol and body fat you want to check this out and uh, i really think you should go to the website trim tonic and it's spelled you know kind of specially here trim and then tonic is t-o-n-i-q trimtonic.com for more information enter the coupon code twit for a 20 percent discount hey that's like buying four and getting the fifth one free right so um, check it out, Trim Tonic. They are uh, a sponsor. Uh, I know the folks at the Twit Network have checked them out and vetted them. And uh, they have another product called Brain Tonic that we're going to talk about, I'm sure, on some other shows. Um, but uh, Trim Tonic, natural appetite suppressant. By the way, I was speaking of, of appetite suppressing and and just eating a little bit less. You know, starvation diets don't work. The body just doesn't react well to those kind of things. But a good friend of mine, in fact, he's a, a colleague uh, at um, at the TV station here in Nashville, Fox 17, the, the case I do weather at, we noticed that he had lost about 20 pounds. And we asked Nick, how did you do that? Are you working out? He said, well, I am working out a little bit, but honestly, I just, smaller portions, smaller portions. I'm, I just made myself eat, you know, 20, 30% less at each meal, didn't go for seconds, and, um. Uh, it sure, it surely did work for him. He's looking good, and I know the Trim Tonic can help you too to uh, curb your appetite. Trim Tonic, qcom dot com, and uh, the uh, coupon code Twit. All right, moving on. Uh, we were talking about ham, being a ham uh, radio operator, uh, getting into that hobby or pastime. And uh, Chris, I had mentioned that um, first of all, that there are Things in broadcast engineering that I felt I didn't understand well enough, and if I would get into ham radio, that I would look at the same subjects from different approaches. Oftentimes, ham radio operators have to because it's it's just a it's just you, it's just me, it's just one person spending money to have a radio station of sorts, have a ham a ham station, and so we want basically ham operators need to do things cheap. You know, some ham gear is quite expensive, but some things can be very inexpensive, especially if you're willing to do a few things yourself. So since ham operators often need and want to do things on the cheap, we really get to learn the essentials of what goes into creating a signal or amplifying a signal or uh, addressing the audio in a certain way, or um, uh, then in, in digital modes, how we can use something as simple as a $10 PC sound card to and some software to analyze um, packet radio and 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 di- different digital modes. Chris, why don't you give me your thoughts on on this subject of we got to do things cheap, so we really need to uh, boil it down to its bare essentials.
0: Oh, that's—I mean, it's—it's—that's what's so elegant, uh, you know. And, and amateur radio operators—that's one of the things, kind of the, the 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 unwritten rule of the road. I mean, one of the the big reasons for us being is for emergency communication. We need to be able to set up and and do things in times of of disaster where you're not going to have that infrastructure there. You have to put something together. Uh, we practice that with something we call Field Day every year, uh, sponsored by ARL, the uh, American—I don't remember what ARL stands for anymore. <laughs> Radio Relay
2: American Radio Relay League,
0: radio Relay League I had a cramp on that for a moment. Uh, but uh, every year, that's one of the things you, you get together and uh, you earn, you, you basically get points and, and it's a lot of fun. You're setting up uh, essentially a, a radio station in the middle of nowhere, sometimes without power, sometimes without any kind of infrastructure, and you have to be creative. And uh, so, I mean, that's that's one of the things that, that we really try to do is – Again, you know, helping after uh, Hurricane Katrina, even helping now with the floods after natural disasters, usually the first uh, forms of communication that come out of uh, out of those areas is amateur radio. Because over time, we've learned the skills to just, you know, how do we get anything to radiate, even if it's not something specific? Uh, You know, maybe it's not an exact cut antenna. Maybe it's just a random wire. How do we load that up? How you know how much power can we put into it before there's a problem? Uh, You know, these are all things we learn. And because of that, it makes us frugal because we can, you know, we don't have to spend thousands of dollars on an antenna system. We can run over to Home Depot, buy some pipe and and assemble something that'll work and radiate and, and work very well. And sometimes that's all we've got. And that's why we need to know how to do that. So. I think one of the great things about amateur radio as it pertains to broadcast engineering is it forces us to think outside the box. You know, we don't always have these huge budgets for things. And a great example of where my, uh, you know, my amateur radio uh, background came into play, we were trying to devise a, uh, an IFB system. Uh, for a broadcast that we were doing from, uh, from Fairgrounds, where we wanted to get audio back and forth from the studio through a channel. Well, we had a free RPU channel and we set up kind of a two way system to work on it, and, and it, it worked fantastically. Uh, but, you know, it was using, uh, you know, ideas from a repeater system. You know that kind of that kind of thinking, a uh, uh, amateur radio repeater system. So, I, I think uh, in terms of, of broadcast engineering, it, it, that experience gives us the ability to think outside the box sometimes, and 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 especially when all of a sudden. Things go bad really quickly and we have to put something together. I had a, a transmitter go down, an AM transmitter, and I was trying to think of, okay, what if I can't get anything back on? I'm like, well, you know, if I could create something with, even with a with an amateur radio and change the tuning on it and get 100 watts out of it on a frequency, you know, on an AM frequency and keep the bandwidth down, you know, maybe I could put something on the air. You start to think outside of the box a little bit more because you know, these are all things that we've done as our hobby. And now we can, you know, we have that experience, and that history to apply to our everyday job. So uh, that's one of the great things about it. And and somebody mentioned here uh, on the uh, IRC channel that it's not being cheap, it's being frugal. And that's absolutely true. Um, But I think a lot of it is because that's the challenge. I don't necessarily know that it's always because we don't like to spend money, but I think it, it has to do with the challenge. Can I build this? Can I make it you know, radiate power. Can I make this thing light up? Uh, I think there's a lot of that goes on, and, and that's part of the fun. Oh, I can't hear Kirk. Kirk
1: disappeared.
0: Oh, Kirk. Kirk's audio disappeared. Okay, we'll just look at his uh, his shining face. <laughs> I see. Uh, oh, Mister Tobin is back. Are you there, Chris? Hey hey, all right, you made it.
1: (laughs) Yes, I did. I'm not sure what happened to my uh, broadband connection, but uh, it went berserk.
0: The the strangest thing... Oh, go ahead. It sounds like the same thing just happened to
1: Kirk. (laughs) Well, you know, I I did several speed tests to different parts of the country, and anything west of uh, Chicago doesn't seem to work very well. My ping test is about 300 milliseconds. Everything east of Chicago... Is 76, 56, 34 milliseconds. So hmm. I'm going to assume there's a problem with the broadband network I'm connected to.
0: Well, you know, we're we just talking fact, about you know, ham. Hammer, hammer, we we're just talking about amateur radio technology. Maybe we just need to set up something on uh, on HF and just get you through with uh, with ham radio. Get across the country that way.
1: Well, there you go. Like the uh, you know some of the old military HF nets that they're out there. I think sometimes they turn on from time to time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, so, you know, we need more competition. We need more competition in that broadband arena. I don't like the idea of <laughs> well, like, I, don't
0: the I don't know that we I don't know that we call that broadband, but uh, I I think you're right. <laughs> when we were just talking about that, actually, how you know, in times of emergency when infrastructure fails, oftentimes it's the uh, it's the ham radio operators that we hear first. And uh, I mean, this is a great example of that. Hey, we could you know we could get you on. Uh, you know, on HF radio and get you just fine even when the internet's not working. so uh, you know that's one of the, the great things about it.
1: That's true. Well yeah you know it, it's funny you were talking about emergency situations and communications and amateur operators do step up to the plate and uh, you know here in New York City Metro, I cannot tell you how many times on many occasions when uh, I won't say disaster but bad things have happened. First thing I tune on turn on I have several different channels I tune into. And those repeaters are active and people are running about. And matter of fact, when we had the big blackout in, was it 2006 or 2003? um, The only thing I was able to communicate with friends of mine on was three of the amateur repeaters I maintain and the backup systems we have on it for generators. So there is something to be said for that oh exactly. and and uh, we were talking about with with how
0: amateur radio kind of ties in with with broadcast engineering uh, that's one of those that's one of those reasons. that's one of those those situations that comes up where uh, especially with um with broadcast stations, I know one of the experiences I had with amateur radio and broadcast stations was with emergency management. and uh, we in fact put in a, a link receiver so we could hear what's going on in the studios and one of the things that kind of got me into getting the, the uh, amateur radio license who's working with the emergency management department uh, for Y2K stuff. So uh, it's really kind of interesting how that all ties together. And, uh, you know, again, you know, when somebody was mentioning, you know, how do I convince my boss to let me take time off for Dayton? Uh, you know, it's all of those things. I mean, there's such a there's such a tie where, uh, you know, these, these two disciplines really mesh together well. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that you can learn. From one or the other, uh, so it's, it's it's really kind of that way. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Do we have we have Kirk back yet? Uh, might be. Hello. There you go. Hey. You know, I think I think we Got need just some, some. I think we need ham radio for this tonight.
2: Is is really what I'm gathering? <laughs> it might be. Uh, I actually i had forgotten to uh, uh hook up my computer in such a way that uh, packet prioritization was occurring in the router. So, um, hey, I don't know if anybody, nobody else should be in the house right now. But if somebody is and watching a uh, movie or you know uploading something, then that might uh, that might do it. But uh, hey, I, in fact, th- this would be a subject we should talk about: is packet prioritization. Hey, no. hey, Chris, how you doing? Um, because um, is hearing me okay? Yes, ah we've got a huge delay now
0: oh, interesting. <laughs> I think McGuadago is the only uh only uh, city on the planet right now that's uh connected pretty well to the net, It sounds like
2: it does it does all right well let's uh, let's uh, soldier on and, and see how uh, how good or bad it does you know maybe maybe we'll read tomorrow morning or read uh, on the interwebs tonight that there was a some somebody cut a cable you know in in Dubuque. <laughs> and all the traffic ended up uh, getting routed through. Uh, oh, I don't know the the Rim servers in uh, uh, in, uh, in in Canada. Um, yeah, there you go. one time I was, yeah, one time I was I was connected and doing a, a a trace route. And it should have just gone you know, across the state of Tennessee, and I was end up getting routed through Sao Paulo, Brazil. What really was that the least <laughs> cost routing? So somebody just
0: mentioned on the IRC, Netflix is stealing all the bandwidth this evening. <laughs>
2: Could be. Well, <laughs> so um, back to back to Ham and, and the way the, the other big thing I wanted to mention is that not only as a broadcast engineer can you learn to look at things from a different perspective and maybe begin to understand how a circuit works uh, not only the way that you learned as a broadcast engineer or you learn by reading a manual for a transmitter or an antenna uh, or some other or some audio circuit the other part of this is that amateur radio includes so many different discipline so many different parts of the technology of communication wire that um you can spend high amateur radio hobby your career whatever uh just in learning about aprs and, and and getting really good at that or some other kind of packet radio where you're communicating across oceans and across continents with very low power uh and signals that are barely discernible from the noise certainly you wouldn't be able to understand an, an analog conversation you might be able to pick out you know a cq um, a, a, a cw conversation uh with morse code but these these digital forms of communication can just pick out signals out of seemingly almost nothing and give you text or whatever or data that it is that you're you're transferring let's tell us you're learning and what's what surprised you about this
0: Up, you're you're kind of breaking up a little bit here. I think I got what you were trying to say. Um, You know, there's there's, there are there are many different things you could do, and and, you know, it's hard to pick just one. And and that's one of the great things about it is you can pick one if you want, or you know, there's many different things you can do. I'm very interested in APRS, for example. I have APRS running all the time when I'm driving around, or for the most part. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that performs in Dayton. But, uh, you know, people log on all the time and uh, see where I'm at and where I'm driving and that kind of thing. I'm, I'm very interested in that. I also, again, I have a repeater here in, in, in the Milwaukee area that we have. I've got a repeater in the Madison area as well. And, uh, you know, so, so you know, I, I'm not too much into HF. I'm a little bit. But even then, I, I've done some digital things, uh, PSK, things like that, uh, you know that i 'm very interested in, and you know that 's great if those are things that you want to get involved in there's plenty to learn and I still am learning things about that and you know if I lose interest in that there's always voice communication there's always c w uh, there 's all these different things going on, and all of them are still evolving and and that 's one of the great parts about it is amateur radio, unlike our job, you know they really it 's kind of the spirit of of, of using your imagination, creating and experimenting and trying different things, uh, you know, trying to soup up uh, uh, wireless gear up in the am- higher amateur frequencies, uh, you know, those sorts of things. So there's a lot of encouragement there to just try new things. And, I, you know, you, it's, you're limited to your mind and, and the skills that you have. And, you know, if you want to put something together that runs on on HF that nobody's ever done before. Knock yourself out try it out see how it works and uh, you know some of the things that amateur radio operators have done in the past have uh, gone on to become mainstream types of technologies things like uh, you know Wi-Fi uh, other types of communication like that I mean you know two meter two meter repeater systems really were kind of highly developed by by amateur radio operators so you know there's all these different types of things that just in the spirit of invention that, that uh, amateur radio uh, operators have done and created and have refined. So those are kind of things that a lot of times you don't get to do in your daytime, you're uh, in your day
2: job. Chris, one of the things that captures my imagination, one of the facets of amateur radio, a competing thing called echo link. I think it's, is it echo link? Uh, internet relay linking project where, um, Two, uh, usually it's two meter, two meter repeaters, usually at high locations uh, in towns or out in the country, are linked to each other around the world via the internet. And uh, the audio quality is just fine for amateur radio. Uh, and yet, and here I can be driving around. I can go be picking up my daughter at school in the afternoon and key up. And and dial in to talk to somebody in Brisbane, Australia, where they're just getting up and, and going to work in in the morning. Uh, that captures my imagination. Uh, being able to talk around the world without all the without all the muss and fuss of, uh, uh, of, of a of a of uh, a big antenna outside and and depending on skip to do that. I so this is what it, it entices me. Uh, what about you? Is is IRLP interesting to you?
0: Sure. Well, there's there's EchoLink, which you mentioned, in an IRLP, IRLP, which is the uh, Internet Repeater Linking Project. IRLP is uh RF on either end with the internet in between. Then there's something called Echo Link, which is for uh licensed amateurs, which is computer, uh, I mean you can do computer computer to computer voice over IP, but really it's computer to repeater. Uh so one end is computer, the far end is RF. And what's kind of neat about that is I've got an IRLP app on my uh on my my Android phone and I can actually uh go and talk on a two-meter repeater or four forty uh megahertz repeater. With my Android phone, you know, which is great for when my friends are, are back in uh, back around the repeater. I'm in Dayton, for example. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that, I, I do some stuff with IRLP. I do some stuff with, with Echolink. Uh, we've set up a couple of nodes. Uh, and, and, again, that's where there's something for everybody. If you're into I, IT type of things, computer things, you know, people always joke, you know, amateur radio, it's yesterday's technology. Sit down with a Linux box and configure an Echolink or an IRLP node. It's fascinating stuff.
2: It's a good idea that there's there's a, that there's this other aspect of, of amateur that I've never gotten into, but it's always I also captured my imagination. And that's these uh, satellite flyovers, how you can communicate with another amateur with just a, a handheld radio and a, and a handheld um antenna that usually has two antennas built into it um on on two different frequency bands and if you know where the satellite is you can you can track it you track it by listening when you're receiving and you can talk to somebody else who can also who is also in view of that satellite so it's it's a it's a simple repeater then there are satellites that carry packet information or packet messages around the world um can you talk to us for a minute about that Um, well chris tobin's back online um uh Chris uh, Tobin, have you, have you ever dealt with the either IRLP or any of the satellite stuff?
1: I've dealt with IRLP uh, and EchoLink. I like the idea of having the, the internet between the two RF sections. That's a lot of fun. Um, the satellite I did a couple of years ago—that's that's wild. That's when you when you're able to make that work. Uh, just a thought process of where, what you're doing, how you're doing it, and uh, it just—it's good. And what I love about all that stuff is just experimenting. The, the experimentation part of the process is what really helps you to open your mind. Like Chris was saying earlier, you know, use some of the ideas and techniques that you develop and learn or fail at in amateur radio, and you can actually apply it in our business and broadcast and find a happy medium, and, and find, you know, it, it works. And uh, it's a lot of fun, but IRLP is definitely a, a fun fun operation. And actually, I should say it's always a I cut out?
2: who's
0: me? No, I got you. I, I, I oh, was. Okay. I, I don't know.
2: Is Kirk still with us, or is he gone? Oh, I was wondering.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, actually, actually, well, I am sort of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got you a little bit there. Are you still what there, Kirk? not.
1: Uh,
2: oh, I, I. Kirk, I'm calling you back. Okay, bye.
1: All righty
0: then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, anyway, okay. as, as we were saying, it's a. Boy, we'll talk about uh, problems with the internet tonight. Uh, yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of those things that I've learned over the years, uh, you know, from, from just experimenting. And that's one of the great things with, with amateur radio is if you try and experiment and you fail – uh hopefully nobody dies, but you know it's not it doesn 't affect your your everyday business and so you 're kind of encouraged to do those things and 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 not only that, but the way that the licensing works and the way that the fcc's allocated it 's encouraged uh, you know you really essentially they say outside of a few reservations for uh things like um like morse code essentially the band is there to to try what you, you want to try outside of a few restrictions so you get these different frequency bands all of which have all these different characteristics and here, here you go take it use it try to you know f- figure out a way to make it work and there's really no no rule as to how you have to or not not have to use it so there's a lot of good good ways to to experiment there
1: all, all right give me i'm back yeah, here in the new york uh, City I, I, metro there's a lot oh, is that kirk yeah go, go ahead chris tobin Oh, I was just saying that here in the New York Metro, uh, we have a lot of networks or nets uh, doing R- IRLP, Echolink, and a lot of the what was it uh, 10 gig, as, even the ATV, the uh, slow scan and high, uh, high speed amateur TV. I mean, it's, it's amazing the amount of stuff that's going on and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun checking it out. But uh, learning from it, using it, experimenting, and you're right, if you fail, hopefully nobody gets hurt, uh, it actually takes you uh, much farther along in the, in the craft. And, I, and I, that's what
2: I enjoy about it. Yeah, you know, uh, we were talking about the different disciplines that uh, exist within um, at the amateur uh, If you're interested in, in talking about to other parts of the world, uh, you're you're going to have to be interested in, in how the atmosphere plays upon uh, uh, shortwave radio signals, and when when's a good time to bounce a shortwave radio signal off certain a good idea to do that or when is the wind is not going to work for you um uh, all different modes of propagation different waves that ways that radio so you off of your antenna at some angle toward the horizon and then bounce off uh, a part of the atmosphere like the ionosphere one of the one of the layers and then bounce back toward the earth is it going to hit the right place are you going to be able to t- talk to to uh, somebody in the uk versus to it makes, it makes a difference there. So learning about these atmospheres and there's computer programs that can make this easy and help you understand what's going on, too. You know, our show is brought to you in part by Telos Systems. Now, they're my employers. So, hey, who better to ask about Telos gear than than me, than Kirk Harnack, right? I want to tell you about uh, an inexpensive product that Telos makes. It's the Telos HX1 and the new Telos HX2 telephone hybrids hey i was just at a radio station in a major market a news talk station where i saw with my own eyes 20 of these things installed at reporters workstations they're using telos hx hybrids to record uh what we used to call maybe they still call them actualities that is the voice of someone on the other end of the phone line telling you about the fire or the robbery or the town hall meeting last night or the ball game um we use a telephone hybrid to extract Uh, the caller's voice in the highest possible quality from a phone line. Now, you know, Telos for years has made the Telos 1, and uh, we used to make the Telos 100 Delta, and we've made some other telephone hybrids. But now, we've put all of our energy into making the Telos HX1 and the dual hybrid, the HX2. These are really high-performance hybrids at a very, very affordable price. Some of the features, well, they have uh, separate send-level and receive-level metering right on the front of the the box. Uh, Status symbols make life easier for producers and talent uh, with their animated high contrast icon display that tell you is the line uh, on hold, is the line there at all, is the line in use. Uh, you can place the caller on hold via a front panel button. There's an auto answer built into the HX1. It's no longer a, uh, an add-on separate. Uh, auto answer is built in so you can use it as an IFB uh, uh, hybrid for incoming uh, uh, reporters calls, for example, to connect them to the intercom system. Uh, You can also select the ring count on the auto answer. It has worldwide disconnect signal detection. Now that's pretty important. We use a chip in this HX1 and HX2 uh, that is programmable for phone systems all around the world. So Auto disconnect is actually kind of important, and it's kind of hard to do, too. There's input and output via uh, XLR connectors for um, uh, analog audio and optional AES-3 uh, for the HX2. And there's input switching between mic or line levels. That's significant. You can use the HX1 or HX2 with just a microphone. It's got its own built-in mic preamp. Plus an internal universal power supply used on any voltage in the world. And our best, most advanced hybrid algorithms. Check it out for yourself on the web at telos-systems.com hx. And I truly thank Telos for sponsoring the show and being such a world leader in telephone hybrid technology. The guys who invented the digital telephone hybrid. And thank him very much. Well, you may have noticed we had a lot of technical difficulties with this show. I got to looking at the, uh, at the internet uh, traffic report and turns out there were problems on the internet on Wednesday when we were doing the show. It wasn't our fault, really. Petaluma was fine. Nashville was fine. New York was fine with our local connections. But things had a hard time getting uh, getting between all of our sites. So we hope you enjoyed the part of the show that we did. We sure enjoyed doing it for you. And we didn't want it to go to waste. So that's why we give you this slightly shorter uh, show of This Week in Radio Tech about hamvention and how being a ham radio operator uh, can enhance your professional engineering career. Hey, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week on This Week in Radio Tech. Bye-bye.